It is great to see everyone this morning. I don't know if you all just noticed what happened a few moments ago, but when the service started, I don't know if you sensed it, but it was almost like it was locked down. And sometimes when it seems like you're fighting hell by the acre, you have to worship your way in with the presence of God. And by the time that last song was finished, I was like, I'm about to preach. <laughs> I'm excited. So this morning is week number three in our message series entitled, Wait. And we're talking about the value of patience and we're learning how to better understand what God is doing in our life and through our life and around our lives in the process of waiting. And one of the things that we've done on each of the different weeks is we have shared a key truth. It is a truth that is supposed to be there for the entire series. And I wanna share that with you again this morning. God prepares us through the waiting to better embrace his will on the other side. God prepares us through the waiting to better embrace his will on the other side. So wherever God might have you in a holding pattern today, wherever you are waiting on God, just know he is using this time, this season, this set of circumstances in order to not only help you recognize, but also help you to embrace his will on the other side. So each week, we are pulling that idea out just a little bit more. So in week number one, we talked about waiting for the Lord out of Psalm chapter 27. And it was a message that I simply wanted to provide an overview of what it looks like to wait on the Lord, as well as to help people have perspective that they need as they are waiting and as they're watching God. So whenever a person is waiting on God, they're often asking questions like, God, is it worth it? Is there any value in this? Why should I wait? And one of the things I wanted people to see is the value, the importance of what it looks like to wait on God. I also wanted people to recognize the warnings that are in Scripture about jumping ahead of God. And at the end, whether or not we got it or not, I simply wanted people to know that waiting on God is a good thing. It doesn't feel like it in the moment, but waiting on God is a good thing. So then in week number two, we talked about when God seems silent out of Daniel chapter 10. And we addressed this connection between prayer and God's timing. And that is, there's often a lot of waiting between our amen and God's answer. And when a person is waiting on God in prayer, they're often wondering, God, how long is this going to take? God, are you even listening to my prayers? God, why do you seem so silent during this time? So in that message, I wanted people to see that God is never early. He is never late. He is always right on time. Even when God seems late, he's still loving us well. I wanted people to see that whenever we are praying, there is a spiritual battle that is happening all around us, and we are to pray like we are in a battle. In that message, we learned that if the answer has not yet come, it is because the answer is not yet needed. And I also wanted people to know God's perspective of you and I in the waiting has not changed. He loves you just as much in the silence of the meantime as what he does in the joy of answered prayer. So now it's week number three. We're talking about learning to trust in fear and also in confusion. And we're going to address this out of the book of Job. You all know waiting on God is never an easy thing. But as you're waiting on God and the circumstances seem to get worse, the problems intensify, the pain 
gets greater and greater. Whenever you're waiting and things go from bad to worse, we often find ourselves dealing with fear and confusion. We have to stop and talk about it. Fear and confusion will cause people to do impulsively in the moment what God has been saying, you need to wait for me on for my will to come through. Fear and confusion, it's going to be things that we have to battle against. If we're going to grow in our ability to wait on God, we're going to have to deal with the fear and confusion that comes in the process of waiting. And we're going to have to come to grips with the reality that many times things will get worse before they get better. And watch this. And sometimes things might not get better from our perspective. The question becomes, do I still trust him? We have to learn how to see God's love even when we can't feel God's love in that moment. And that takes time, and that also takes trust. Now, we're going to walk through these ideas out of the story of Job. And if there was ever a guy who saw the situation go from bad to worse, and a guy who sat there in confusion with many unanswered questions for a prolonged period of time, if there was ever a guy who was the epitome of that, it's going to be Job. But you're going to see that in this process, Job learned things about himself, he learned things about God, and he also learned how to trust God in even deep deeper ways through the entire process. So I'm going to ask you today, join me in Job chapter number one. Job chapter one. Now, this morning's going to be a little bit different in the sense the words are not going to be up on the screen behind me. So if you've got a Bible, definitely keep that open. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, just know I'm going to be reading the text and I will call out the references all the way through. And the reason I, I'm doing this this morning is because we're going to go through so much material. We're going to cover so much of the story of Job. It would be very distracting to try to see the, the words coming up on the screen all the way through the process. So we're going to walk through critical moments out of Job's life. And probably the first 15 to 20 minutes, we're simply going to be telling the story, and I'm going to be calling out the references. The final 10 to 15 minutes, I'm going to give a number of lessons specific to Job's life. Lessons that, Lord willing, will be ones that will be helpful for us as well. So I'm speaking this morning on the subject, learning to trust in fear and confusion. Let's take a moment and let's pray as we go forward. Heavenly Father, we're asking that your spirit guide us into truth. Lord, may we walk away with exactly what we need to hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapter 1 begins with the description of Job's life. Here's what it says, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man of the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, we've all read enough novels and we've seen enough movies to recognize a good guy when he shows up in a story. We've also been preconditioned by many of those novels and many of those movies to expect that only good things are going to happen to good people. And this is, this is one of those good people, so to speak. In fact, he's the type of person that everything just seems to work out for. I don't know if you've ever noticed those types of people, but, I mean, they go for their dream job, and they get it, and they make an investment returns 20-fold. They could trip on the curb, and there's going to be a $100 bill in front of them. Like, even their bad moments somehow turn out good. Well, this is kind of what Job's life looks like at the very beginning. So keep reading with me now in verses 2 and 3. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. 
His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the East. Here's the Paul Godhart translation. Job is blessed, he is loaded, and he is famous. That's basically what it's saying. So verse 8, it picks up in this discussion that is happening between God and Satan. Here's what it says. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. It appears as though God and Satan are having this conversation about Job. And Job's not been invited to the party. And God basically says, in your travels, have you seen Job? He's upright, he's blameless, he fears me. And Satan tells God, Job is blameless because Job is blessed. He actually brings up an interesting character argument, one that is still taking place to this very day. Here's the argument that Satan is making. Character is always defined by circumstances. Good circumstances are going to lead to good character. Bad circumstances are going to lead to bad character. But here's the issue. You know it, I know it, and Scripture will testify about it. Sometimes some of the most godly, kind people you have ever met in your life have endured some of the most horrific, difficult circumstances of anybody that you know. And the opposite is also true. Sometimes some of the most mean-spirited, hateful, vindictive people you've ever met in your life have been blessed with nothing but abundance from the very beginning of their life. The point is circumstances, yes, it might impact a person, but circumstances do not have to define a person's character. So God tells Satan, basically everything he has is in your power, only do not touch him. Now let's pause here. If we're talking about trusting God with things that we don't understand, things that are confusing, am I the only one who thinks somebody should be talking to Job about this moment? I mean, in this text, he goes from protected to exposed in 18 words from God. According to what we find in verses 13 through 22, things got bad fast. Uh, Job's oxen and donkeys are taken. A number of his servants are killed. The sheep and more of his servants are burned up in a fire that came from heaven. The Chaldeans kill more of his servants. They took his camels. And then all of his kids, all of his kids, all of his kids are killed on the same day in a house because the wind blew and it blew the walls down on top of his family. Think about it like this. That's not the events that occurred over the course of Job's life. Those are events that happened in a number of hours of a single day in Job's life. I don't know if I can get my mind around how painful that would have been for him. The questions that he would have had, the grief that he would be going through when all of that happens in such 
a short period of time. We understand based on the text, Job did not know what was going on. Job was confused, but his response was legendary. He tore his robes in grief. He shaved his head in sadness, and he worshiped God through the pain. It says in verse number 22, through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. What an incredible response. So pause for just a moment. If you think God only teaches the hard lessons to people who are young in their faith and haven't learned it yet, you need to go back and read the story of Job again. That was Job's level of trust at the very beginning of the story. If we just endured what he just endured and the response was in all his ways he did not sin or blame God. He is starting at a great level of trust in this story. All I can say is it doesn't matter how long we've been walking in the faith, God still has other lessons he wants to teach us in. And we might think, oh, I've already learned that. And many times he's like, no, I got another piece you're going to learn in this moment. So chapter 2 begins with God and Satan now in another conversation. And here's what it says in verse number 3. Have you considered my servant Job? Now pause again. Wasn't that the exact same question that started that whole series of unfortunate events? And now we're back at it again. So God goes on to say, For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity. Although, listen to this, you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. we got to pause there for a moment. If we're talking about trusting God through things we don't understand, we got to talk about that last statement. It almost sounds as though God is saying, there was no purpose in what I did to him. You incited me to ruin this man without any cause. There was no purpose. I, I did it because you incited me. But that's not what the text actually tells us, and we find that further in the story. The further we go, we understand that without cause means that Job did nothing to deserve the pain. Uh, he didn't make a number of foolish decisions or he, he didn't get himself into trouble because of sin in his life or something else that brought about these issues in his life. God had a purpose, but Job did not know what that purpose was at the time. So Satan picks back up in the conversation, chapter 2, verse 4, skin for skin. Yes, all that this man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Keep reading verses 7 and 8. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Why is God doing this to Job? Why does it seem like God's allowing Satan to ruin his life? I thought that God was proud of Job. It seemed like God was just bragging on Job just a few moments ago. And yet at this point, it is hard to tell the difference between God's admiration of Job and maybe God's wrath against Job because both of them bring pain to Job. Why is God allowing this to happen? Look at what it says 
in chapter 2, verse 9, after this occurred. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. It's good to know that Job could come home to the encouragement of a loving wife. <laughs> Blessing. <laughs> Verse number 10, he, he had a word for his encouraging wife. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The very next set of verses, it tells us three of Job's friends come. And when they come, it seems like they are sincere in wanting to empathize with him and care for him and be there with him whenever he's going through a hard time. But very quickly, their empathy gets turned into accusations. And for the next probably 20-some chapters, they keep coming at him saying, if you were really right with God, this would not be happening with you. If you repented of your sin, this would not be taking place. If you would just stop lying about what's happening in your life, God would stop stop all of this. Like it becomes accusatory fast. See, here's the thing. You, You get the basic, I guess, layout of what's happening within the story. A godly guy experiences unimaginable tragedy. God is not only aware of the issues he's facing, but seems to be fueling that discomfort. Job has no answers. Job has no direction. Job has no way to fully understand what is happening behind the scenes. He defends his integrity before his wife. He fights off accusations from his friends. And he repeatedly brings his questions to God and is met with silence. He is hurting. He is confused. And he is waiting. He's waiting. Now I want you to go flip over, fast forward to Job chapter 23. Job chapter 23. As we pick up in this section, Job is still struggling because God is not answering his prayers. And yet he's also wrestling with the fact that he understands God is not obligated to have to answer any of his questions. He is wearied from the entire experience. He doesn't know where God is at. So now I want you to read what it says in Job chapter 23, verses 1 through 5. Then Job replied, Even today my complaint is rebellion. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive what he would say to me. Job's basically saying, if I could just find God in all of this, it'd be okay. I would sit in front of him. I'd tell him what's on my heart. I I would listen as he would speak back to me. If I could just find him in the midst of all of this, I'd be okay. All he wants is a conversation. All he's looking for is clarity. God, help me to understand what I'm going through. I get it. If you've been waiting on God for a while for something and it's hurtful, it's painful, you get it as well. Look at what it says in now verses 6 through 9. Would he contend with me by the greatness of his power? No, surely he would pay attention to me. There the upright would reason with him, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. Behold, I would go forward, but he's not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. 
When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right, I cannot see him. If you have ever waited with God in a long period of silence and God's not answering your prayers, that is a perfect description of what it feels like at that moment in your life. I go forward, God's not there. I go backward, God's not there. I look to my right, I can't see him. I look to my left, I can't see him. That is a beautiful description of what it looks like whenever a person is confused and they're waiting on God. Now look at what it says in verse 10. But he knows the way I take. What profound trust. Here's basically what he's saying. I can't find him, but he can find me. He knows the way I take. He knows the path I'm on. He knows where I'm at right now. His faith in this entire journey is staggering when you think about it. So now for the next eight verses, Job begins to express his fear in this process. Look at what he says in verses 15 and 16 for just a moment. He, he's still saying, therefore, I would be dismayed at his presence. He's talking about the presence of God. When I consider I am terrified of him. He's like, I, I don't know what's happening, but God, I'm afraid. So here's what we have over in chapter 23. Job is frustrated in verses 1 through 9. He's faithful in verses 10 through 12. He is frightened in verses 13 through 17. And yet with all of these emotions, look at what it says in verse 17. I am not silenced by the darkness. Powerful faith. Yes, it's overwhelming. But he says, I'm not silenced. Now, fast forward over to chapter 38. Chapter 38 begins with the phrase, then the Lord answered Job. And man, when God answers, sometimes you don't know if you want the answer God is going to give. Because chapter 38, verse 3, God speaks, and here's what he says. Now gird up your loins like a man. And I will ask you, and you instruct me. For 37 chapters, Job has been saying, God, I've got questions. God, I don't know. God, help me understand this. And God has been silent the whole way through. Now in chapter 38, God begins to speak. And when God speaks, these are the questions that he now sends back Job's direction. Verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Verse 5, who set its measurements since you know? In other words, hey, Job, you're talking a lot. Since you know this, who set the measurements of the earth in place or stretched out the line on it? Go over to verse 12. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Verse 16, have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Verse 17, have the gates of death been revealed? to you or have you seen the gates of the deep darkness verse 31 can you bind the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion verse 34 can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that the abundance of water will cover you he has question after question over 50 some questions that God now brings to Job in two chapters he's like Job you got a lot of questions let me ask you some myself. You're, you're trying to tell me what's happening. I know what's happening behind the scenes. There is this dialogue that now takes place 
from chapter 38 through chapter 42. So in chapter 38, verse 1, then the Lord answered Job, chapter 40, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, chapter 40, verse 3, then Job answered the Lord. Chapter 40, verse 6, then the Lord answered Job. Chapter 42, verse 1, then Job answered the Lord. In other words, there's this back and forth communication that is happening. For 37 chapters, Job has said, God, I've got questions, I've got questions, I've got questions. And now in this point, God has questions for Job. For 37 chapters, Job worshiped through things he didn't understand. He defended God even when he was confused. He wrestled with God through the silence. He grieved through loss and pain and rejection and problems. And now for five chapters, Job begins to get some form of clarity, although not the clarity he was looking for. Sometimes the answers God gives you in those moments are harder to handle than those periods of perceived silence. It's in this final part of his prayers that we now learn some lessons. If you're walking through a season where you're praying and you're waiting and you're begging God for answers, and it seems like God is silent, listen to the wisdom of a man who has been there. Listen to what he shares. Chapter 42, verse number 2. He says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That helps us understand our first big point. And believe me, at this point, it's 10 minutes and we're done. Like it, The lessons are going to fall out of the story. Here's the first piece that we understand. God is still sovereign even in our confusion. We might be confused. God is not confused. Uh, sovereign means having supreme authority and power and self-governing. Uh, Job says God can do all things. There's no plan of God that can be thwarted. Circumstances did not take God by surprise. He is completely in control. He, he knows exactly what he is doing. Even if we don't know, God knows. And we also see, based upon what he says in chapter 42, that we see that Job is shocked and a little bit embarrassed at this point. It says, I, I love how the ESV puts it in chapter 42, verse 3. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Job confesses that he was dealing with issues he did not understand. That leads us into the second point. Some things are not for us to know. They're not. God is not obligated to answer every question that we might have. There are some things that we may never know. I don't fully understand why God allows children to suffer. I don't fully understand why he allows sin to flourish or disease to ravage the human body. I don't understand famine and war and how God uses horrible circumstances to display his glory. I don't understand it. I can't get my mind around those types of things. But here's the thing. Some things are not for us to understand. God will share some things in time. He will share other things in eternity. And he may never share some things. The question becomes, do I trust God? 
Listen to how central this one question is. Do I trust God? If the answer is yes, then he gives us the grace that is needed to keep walking with him even without the answers we want. If the answer is no, then it doesn't matter all of the other different answers we would get. The big issue is still there. We don't trust him. This is so important for us. The the issue comes back to, do I trust him? So how does knowing that God is not going to give us every answer, how does that help us trust him more during those confusing and fearful times? Here's how that helps. When we accept the fact that there are some things not for us to know, we can focus more clearly on the things that we are supposed to know. You can know him more in the process. We won't always understand his will, his timing, or his ways, but we can get to know God more, even in the pain, even in the waiting, even in the confusion. Even in those hard times, we find that he is still merciful and he is compassionate. He is just and he is holy. He is loving and he is righteous. He is gracious and he is good. He has a way of coming in just at the right moment with encouragement and a way of showing you you still got more to learn at the other moments. He is still all of the those things and you can get to know him more even if you don't get all of the other answers to your questions here's the next one god will speak but will we listen job 42 4 here now and i will speak i will ask you and you instruct me there are times we don't understand because god is not revealing the answers at that point And there are times we don't understand because we won't stop talking long enough to listen to what he's telling us. Prayer is conversation with God. It's not you talking to God, it's you speaking with God. There is a speaking and a listening that is involved. If we don't stop long enough to listen, how will we understand what he's leading us to do and what the next step is to be? Job began to understand what God was doing Because he listened. Oh, but please hear me. Please hear me. I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert in case you've never gone all the way through the book of Job. He still never gets all the answers he's looking for all the way at the end. Yes, God will speak. Yes, God will lead. Yes, God gives wisdom. But you get to the end of the book of Job... And you see a man who's got faith that was deeper than it's ever been. He's walking with God still in faithfulness and integrity. And he still didn't get all the answers. I need that in my life. Because sometimes I think it's just me. Sometimes I'm like, God, what's wrong with my walk with you? Like, why are you not answering these things? Am I doing something wrong? Am I I not walking in righteousness enough? It is good to know that there's some things God may say, that's not for you to know, but you can still trust me. Here's the next piece. The process will lead to greater intimacy. Look at what it says in verse number five. I love how the ESV says it. My ears had heard of you but now my eyes have seen you. This is is about information going from impersonal to personal. 
When he says, my ears have heard of you, that's secondhand knowledge. He's heard how God has worked in somebody else's life. But now through the process, he says, but now my eyes have seen you. Now it's personal. Now this is what God has done for me. There is a depth of intimacy with God that comes out of this. That is the beauty of continuing to walk with God when you're confused and when you're afraid. Whenever you find yourself in those points where you don't have your nicely packaged answers ready, where all of your Christian cliches seem shallow, they don't seem like they make sense anymore. When you find yourself in that place where your safety net that you'd set up for a long time, it's no longer under you. And in that moment, it's just you and God. You make one of the greatest discoveries of your life. He is there, and he is enough. He is there, and he is enough. See, the reason that's one of the greatest discoveries is because when you recognize the fact that even in the darkest moments, he is there, and he is enough, you lose your fear of situations. You lose your fear of people. You lose your fear of, God, is there something wrong with me? In those moments, he is there and he is enough. Notice the beautiful progression that has happened now in the story of Job. Desperation leads to prayer. Prayer leads to time with God. Time with God leads to greater intimacy with God. Let's take out the middle one. Desperation leads to intimacy with God. Are you going through desperate times? Are you struggling to see what the next step is supposed to be? Do, or do you keep firing off questions and God seems silent? Listen, lean in more in those moments. Lean in more in those moments. The, the point is, many times we want deep intimacy with God. We don't want the process that leads to deep intimacy with God. Somehow we think deep intimacy is going to come because you heard a message on a Sunday morning. Or there was a great song that you heard. Or you just had one devotional moment and all of a sudden there's this depth of intimacy with God. You gain knowledge along the way. But that relational connection, that depth of intimacy comes when we are in those hard moments with God and we discover he is there and he is enough. And when we make that discovery, it changes everything. We can deal with fear and confusion as long as we know he's still there. We can deal with fear and confusion when we say he's enough. I don't have to get all of my questions answered. He's there. He's with me. He's for me. He is enough. Here's the final piece. The experience will reveal personal sin. Verse number six, Job says, therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. After sitting and listening to God, Job was convicted about sin in his own life. Now, based on the story, I'm reading through this thing. I'm like, Job really never did anything that was overtly sinful. Like, he, he didn't raise his fist in rebellion against God. He's not blaspheming God. He, he's not abandoning his faith. Like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, God, he, he did really well all the way through. But God has a way of showing you things in your heart that nobody else around you would have seen. And the process reveals it. So even if you were to think about, write the reference off to the side, Job 23, verse 2. Job said, even today, my complaint 
is rebellion. God was bringing conviction there. When God began to question Job and and help Job remember who the creator is and who the created is, all of a sudden it now leads to conviction of sin. Job says, I repent in dust and ashes. Each time God has taken me through a prolonged period of silence, when I've been praying specifically over something and, and God just has not answered in the time I was hoping, every single time, he used the process to reveal sin and character issues in my life. In one particular point of planting a church in Las Vegas, there was over two years I was praying for God to give me clarity of what the next step was supposed to be. And one day when he brought that clarity inside of 30 minutes, he showed me 29 parts of my character that were not in alignment with his. That's a hurtful moment, by the way. But if our prayer is, Heavenly Father, make us more like your son, we need him to point out the issues of our character that are not in alignment with his. If you're in a season right now of waiting, ask God, is there sin in my life that needs to be addressed? When you are willing to ask, he is faithful to answer. So as we close out, I want to encourage you with the statements that we've come to. What should we remember in those times that we are waiting on God in fear and confusion? Remember, God is still sovereign, even in our confusion. Some things are not for us to know. God will speak, but will we listen? The process leads to greater intimacy and the experience will reveal personal sin. God prepares us through the waiting to better embrace his will on the other side. I'm going to ask you if you would, bow with me for prayer. His heads are bowed for just a moment. There might be people in the room this morning that you have been walking with God through a difficult time for a long time. And in the process Maybe you have become accusatory towards God. Maybe you have verbally either shared it with others or maybe even with God himself that you just don't think he understands what you're going through, that somehow he has forsaken you or abandoned you. My prayer for you this morning would be, would you please go before God and say, God, I'm sorry. I was speaking on things I didn't understand. There, there might be people that you've been wrestling with things for so long, you don't even know what the next step needs to be. Just bring that. Be honest in your relationship before God. He already knows what's in your heart. Just be honest in that moment. Ask God to guide and to direct what your next steps are. There are people today that you've been attending church for a while, but you don't know if you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But you want to know without a doubt. If that's you, I encourage you today. Talk to one of our pastors, either at the end of the service here or out in the atrium afterwards. You might just need prayer. Whatever that might be, I encourage you to respond as the Spirit of God leads you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus today, we ask that you would 
and courage that you would guide, that you would help people to take the next step that they need to take so that, Lord, you would be the one to walk them through the pain, through the pieces, through the confusion. And God will be grateful for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand at this time? We're going to have a final song. Some of our pastors and pastor's wives are at the very front. If you'd like somebody to pray with you, if you'd like to just come and pray yourself, however God is leading you, I encourage you to respond to him.